Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by Rob Brandt. Rob is the founder of Robbie's Voice, a nonprofit that was founded in memory of his son, Robbie, um, who lost his battle to opioid addiction in 2012, is that correct? 2011, October 20th, 2011. Wow, okay. So when going through his belongings, Carla, Robbie's mom, found a notebook with his plan to help himself and others battle the disease of addiction. He had purchased a a web address called Live Free and wrote a detailed plan as how he would bring his message to the forefront. Robbie's voice was created to bring life to that vision. Rob, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Greg. Okay. So, you know, you've taken profound grief, the loss of your son, and you've channeled it into something really special to fight the opioid epidemic. So let's start and just start from the beginning and tell us a little bit about Robbie. So, you know, Robbie was, um, he was a free spirit. He, uh, his motto was carpe diem and he truly lived that every single day was an adventure for him and whatever came about that day he was going to do and whatever he saw that looked cool, looked fun, looked, you know, crazy, he was going to go do. He was, um, he was the ultimate adrenaline junkie. So there was no roller coaster too big. Um, there was no skateboard jump too big. You know, it was, it was motorcycles. When he was a kid, he had the BMX bikes. It was, can I stand on the pegs? Can I stand on the seat? Can I stand on the handlebars? Right. All that kind of stuff. And then, you know, with the snowboarding, it was, you know, he would send us videos from Brandywine of doing flips off of the jumps. And so there was never, there was no fear or trepidation. It was just this unbridled passion to experience these, these amazing adrenaline-driven um, things in life. Wow. So in 2011, he went to Glen Bay, spent some time there in recovery. Take it from there. Yeah, so in early 2011 is when we were able to identify that he was, he was an addict. How did you find out? Um, he had he had actually been battling a pill addiction through high school and through his first year of college. I think the the seeds of addiction were planted when he had his wisdom teeth pulled between his freshman and sophomore year. Okay. He was given you, you know the prescription pain meds, but the addiction 
didn't start there because we we got them off the meds, but that that feeling of wow, these pills are these. They, I feel really good. I like the way these pills make me feel. That imprint really was was on his brain. And that year in school, somebody brought pills to school, and so when when the pills were available, it was a it was a the teenagers thought of wow, these made me feel really good. Nothing bad happened. They came from a doctor. They've got to be safe. Yeah, I'll try them. So when he had his wisdom teeth out, yeah, that prescription really kind of set the foundation. And because we didn't have that deep um, kind of education or awareness as parents as to all of the signs and all of the risk factors, and we knew they were dangerous, which is why we, we kind of cut them off. Um, but we missed some warning signs in there. But it was really the planting of the seed there that very soon after in school. Um, the the addiction really took hold and and ran wild. Okay, so he joined the military then. He joined the military and you know he did his basic training and he did his his advanced training, and when he came home from his advanced training in March of 2011, he went to lunch with an old friend of his, and it would just happen to be a friend that he used to use prescription pain meds with, um, and that old friend said, hey, you know I got this new drug, and it's less expensive, and the high is amazing. You know, you got to try it. And it, Robbie's thought process was, well, I've got that addiction thing out of the way. Yeah, I can try this once. I'll see how it feels. But that's it. I won't, you know. And, you know, of course, the brain starts to light up with that memory of the euphoria. And sure. So, yeah, I'll try it once. And, and it was within about two weeks where he was really fully addicted. And we started to see, you know, the little things. But, again, we weren't educated enough on, on the signs of, of opiate addiction. So he's dozing off at the dinner table, you know, and again, this is, you know, six years ago. And we're like, that's not right. But, but it was, oh, I was up all night playing Call of Duty on the, on the game system. I'm just really tired. And so one side of you is sitting there going, it's not right. But, oh, that's, that make yeah, you were up all night. Um, the tipping point really came, you, you know, Carla, his, you know, my wife, his mom, always felt something wasn't right. She had mom's intuition. And she always took the opportunity to pay attention. She always took the opportunity to clean his room and see what was in his room. And one day, uh, he was actually away for a few days at, at a National Guard uh, function. And she cleaned his room, and she found a receipt for a bottle of water. And that was the, that was the tipping point. Because a bottle of water? A this bottle is so of water, innocent. Right? A dollar twenty-four, And that bottle of water was purchased in East Cleveland. We lived in Olmstead Falls. There was no reason for him to have been in East Cleveland. But we that's said, so intuitive. I, I, I just, from East Cleveland, uh, you know, I mean, your her radar was up incredibly so. Yeah, absolutely. Most parents, she, that's going to slip by 99% of the parents. I, there was no proof. There was no, show me a needle, show me a syringe, show me something. Yeah. Because I told my kids not to do drugs. So if I, and my kids would never do, why would my kids ever do drugs, right? We're middle-class family. We eat dinner together. We're involved in activities. And we told them not to do drugs. They would never do drugs. So why would I believe it? And I asked them, I asked the question, did you ever do drugs? Well, no, dad. Are you doing? No. Well, what did I want to hear? I wanted to hear no. Wow. Okay. So let's see. So he's home. She gets to the bottom of it. And then after that, she's got the receipt. So 
she confronts with the receipt from East Cleveland. How's that go? He was ready. He, he, he did not want to be an addict. And I can't tell you, once we got it out on the table, how many times that he told us, I don't want, I don't want to be an addict. I, this is, you know, I don't like this. So he admitted it because oh, nobody he, wants to be an addict. Yeah, but he, he wasn't in denial. He admitted oh, it. He laid it, he laid it out. Once we said, we know something's going on, we need mm-hmm. to know what it, what, what it is. Once he got those first words out, I'm using heroin. I'm addicted to heroin. It was it was just like he took this weight off his shoulders, and then everything, everything came out. He 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 told us things that we didn't want to know. Yeah. He told us things we didn't need to know. And um, you know, it was like this this reaching out to him to say, finally, I can I can engage with my mom and my dad and get the help that I need. Yeah. Isn't that the toughest conversation, though, as a dad hearing that, that um, your son's addicted to heroin? That that just... <laughs> There's no preparation as a parent that you can go through to hear those words. And I, I, I still remember the day. I still remember, you know, sitting in the living room, and I still remember a sigh of relief when he said it. It was like, there is an issue, and now we got it out on the table. And then the tidal wave came, right? The tidal wave of, oh, wait a second. What is this? What what does this mean? How is this happening? How is it happening to you? How is it happening to us? And then what are we going to do? What do we do? How do we deal with this? What do we do? Because we didn't know. We didn't know what to do. Yeah. So what, what did you do? Um... Spent the entire, it was a Friday night, mm-hmm. and um, spent, I spent the entire day Saturday online just looking. What do we do, right? Just Googling heroin addiction and yeah. recovery. And I called facility after facility, in-state, out-of-state. You know, and, and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm going to send my son away to rehab? Because I'm still in relative denial here. Sure. And this can't, you know, this is this really true? And you've probably got a model in your head that is sold by Hollywood of, okay, need to send him away to rehab for, you know, 30 days, 45 days, and then bring him back. And he's all fixed and all good. I, I think that's the general perception. And finally, we talked to Glenn Bay, I think was, the, was one of the last places we got a hold of. And they said, we'll bring him in Monday. We'll do an assessment. And that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do an assessment because where are we? What does we this mean? We don't know. Right? Sure. And I remember we, we went to this assessment and he went back with the guy. We got no idea what he's telling this, this counselor. And the counselor comes out and we're ready for going away to inpatient treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And the counselor comes out, and I'll never forget it. He's not a bad heroin addict. And, you know, we, again, we're, this is six years ago. What is it? What is, but as a parent, you know, we're, we're going to do cartwheels because our son's not a bad heroin addict. <laughs> what this is a good mean? thing, right? Well, exactly. What does that mean? I didn't care what it meant. It meant my son wasn't a bad heroin addict. Right? <laughs> it meant that he needed intensive outpatient therapy, not inpatient therapy. Um, so it was like, oh, thank goodness he's not deep into this. We didn't know. We didn't know that. We didn't know. We just wow. didn't know. Um, so yeah, he did. He went then into the intensive outpatient program, which was four hours a day, five days a week, eight weeks. At that point, what was your knowledge 
of recovery and how long it takes for your brain to clear from this? Zero. Yeah. Um, okay. Go to rehab, get fixed. Yeah. Right? Go, and, and I think in the back of your mind, you always understand that relapse is a possibility. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to happen to Micah. Look at him. Right? He's he's clean. He's mm-hmm. held, Everything's back to normal at home. And he said, you know, I feel great. I'll never do drugs again. And yeah, it's relapse. It's, it's, you know, and we got the little red book, right? Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. So our focus was 90 meetings, 90 days, get a sponsor. And, and we're good. Just stay on this path and everything's good. And that was our perspective at that time. Wow. So, let's fast forward. So, he goes home, Mm -hmm. starts working right away? Um, He came home, and I no, he didn't have a job at that time, but he still had um, in some of the National Guard stuff. But I think we were were comfortable with the fact that he didn't have a job because he could focus on recovery. Mm -hmm. So, we started, you know, he started the meetings, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, he was going to his meetings every night, and then... You know, it was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I could get to the meeting tonight. I'm kind of tired. and well, It's okay. You've been to seven in a row. That's a pretty good start, right? Yeah, I guess if you're going to you take a night off, it's okay. You can do that. Um, okay, and then it was like, well, you got to make sure you get to your meeting. And then it was, oh, okay, I got to get to this. I got to get to this meeting. And, and he would go, allegedly. Um, you know, so there was there was still going to meetings, and sometimes it wasn't the most willing. I'm going to the meeting, but he's going to the meeting, and that was a good thing. Wow. So many parallels there between your son and my son as I listen to it. Um, so take us a little bit further. What happened next? So Carla um, was cleaning his room. And um, was making his bed, and she, you know, he turned the mattress every so often, right? And she turned the mattress, and she found syringes. Uh, so it was pretty, you know, you know, okay. So we've got a situation again, and we these had, weren't old. No, these from were new, before right? that the, everything. No, he was... tried to he tried to play that card, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. these were here, right. and I, we forgot <laughs> to throw them away. Yeah, no. Um, we were we had progressed a little bit further in our in our thinking and we had we had always said that if you use again you're going to inpatient and um so she was able to get a hold of uh, Glen Bay and they said well you know no beds we got no beds available but as soon as we have one you know we'll call you it's a common story yep right and now. um fortunately and the two days later uh they had said a week two days later they called and I was out of town, um, but two days later they called. They had a bed and said, you need to be here in four hours. The bed's gone. So she, uh, Carla, put him in the car and said, let's go. We're going. And she drove him out to uh, out to Ashtabula and got him admitted into Rock Creek. And during that time, he uh, made friends with uh, Tyler Campbell. He did. He, um, you know, he was social. He made a lot of friends, but he always talked about this Tyler you know, there's this really cool guy here. His name's Tyler, and he's a football player, and he's working out again, and he might be able to go back and play college football again. So we heard, you know, all about this. And there were family days, I think, every Sunday you could go out and, and visit. So uh, one of our, our last visits while he was out at Rock Creek, uh, we got to meet this this young man, this this Tyler. And, you know, it was a brief meeting, an introduction, a couple of minutes uh, of a conversation. Um, but you could you could see... Um, that Tyler was, a, was, an, was again, another special young man. He had a, 
a glint in his eye, you know, nice looking, strong young man. And, you know, you kind of, kind of look at it and said, wow, you know, here's this kid now that's, that's here in rehab. Um, can so happen to anybody. Can happen to anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so 21 days in, mm-hmm. it's time to go home. Yeah. So 21 days in and we had actually, I think insurance was only going to cover 14 days. We were able to get a, a medical extension. So they were going to go week by week. But at about 21 days in, Robbie said, look, I don't want to be here. It's the same message every single day that I got an inpatient. I know what I need to do. Right? I know what I need to do. I'm ready to come home. You know, I'm ready to come home and do it. And so, you know, we, we get the battle with the insurance company. Now you got the battle with him starting to tune out to the message. So it was like, all right, then let's let's come home. But again, if you use again, you're going back. And you're going to go back for as long as we can you know, as long as we can keep you, you know, back wherever that's going to be. So as you reflect on that time, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now about relapse, you, you it completely illuminates it in just a uh, entire, entirely different light, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you When you finally get to a point where you understand addiction and you understand recovery and the things that need to go into it, you look at things in a completely 180 degree viewpoint. There, there's so many things that I would have done personally different than, than what I did. But everything that, that I did, everything that we did was done out of love. It was done with his best interest in mind, but it was best knowledge at your disposal, best knowledge at our disposal. But it wasn't done with the right knowledge. It wasn't done with a full, a true understanding yeah. of what we were dealing with. Yeah. So many parallels there. It's, um, so let's let's move on then. Um, so he's back in the home and it's very stressful, chaotic yeah. at times. Uh, a lot of stress uh, on relationships throughout the family. Yeah, absolutely. Take us from there. Um, so I remember it was the end of July. We were sitting at home. It was a Sunday night, and Robbie was at his girlfriend's house, and, and we got a phone call. And um, it was a Columbus phone number. Why on a Sunday night in a non-election season am I getting a phone call from Columbus? So I answered the phone, and it was this very strong, deep voice. Is Robbie there? I'm like, uh, no, he's not. You know, who is this? And why are you calling for my son from Columbus, right? Is this the state po- – what is going on? Are you yeah. state police or what, what's going on here? And um, the guy said, my name's Wayne Campbell, and my son's name was is Tyler. And I think Tyler and Robbie were in rehab together. And then the light bulb kind of went off for me. Oh, okay, I remember Tyler. I remember meeting Tyler. And I said, oh, oh Mr. Campbell. I said, yeah, I rem- okay. I said, I met Tyler a couple weeks ago. And um, I said, what can I do for you? I said, Robbie's not home. He said, well, I found Robbie's phone number in Tyler's wallet. Um, I think they were friends. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, he said, I'm just calling to let you know that Tyler passed away last week. You could hear, like, you could hear in this guy's voice pain. Like, it was just a, a sound that was, you just hear it. You could, you could feel it. It was palpable. And um, it was real. And um, it was the first time 
that I ever really grasped that that could happen to us, you know? So, you know, we talked to Robbie, but I would let Robbie know, and, and it hit him, right? It hit him. Sure it did. This could happen to me. Uh, then we got another phone call within a week from the National Guard. Robbie's unit was set for deployment November 7th. Um, ordinarily, they would have discharged him with his addiction we could, because he let him know. You know, he let him know what was going on. And um, we got a letter from his sergeant that summer that said, ordinarily, I would discharge a soldier. But your son's special. He, he is, he's just, he's a soldier in every sense of the word. And we love him. and We want him. And if he can, if he can get clean, he can go to Afghanistan. And so he started. You know, okay, worked his program. Worked his worked his program in Robbie fashion. Right. right? Yeah. It wasn't truly the program, but it was better than what it was before. Yeah. And there was a, a focus on things, which was good. And he was using his sponsor. Like he would go fishing with guys that were in his meetings and that. So those are the guys he started to hang out with. Were were guys that were in recovery, and he talked to his sponsor on a regular basis. So there were really positive elements of it that he was working. And he spent September down in Mississippi training for deployment. They do deployment training. And when he went into the uh, when he went into the army, you know, certainly we're worried about what his job would be in the army. And uh, but we found out it was going to be artillery, right? So he was going to be miles away from any action if he ever had to go. Well, oh, I didn't know that's yeah. how it worked. Okay, yeah, they had the so big guns, right? The the, yeah, so he, well, no, he was firing the howitzers, oh, oh, right? Okay. He was, okay. uh, he was on, oh, yeah, he was on yeah, the yeah, number yeah. one so, team in, yeah. his, in in training. And so the problem was in Afghanistan, <laughs> using artillery. Um, so when he went to training, his job became the fifty cal machine gun guy in the back of the Humvee. Which you want to talk about a smile on somebody's face? He thought that was the greatest thing yeah, in sure. the world. Mom wasn't real excited about no, that. No, I would expect um, not. You know, so I told him, I said, "You make sure you're best friends with the guy sitting next to you, because he's he's got he's yeah. the guy that's going to take care of you." So, um, you had to be a little concerned though about that environment, because he's when he's at home, you can pretty much. Oversee, not you know, mm -hmm. not as closely, of course, as you'd like to. You'd like to be, yeah. you know, with him you know, every minute. But still, you've got kind of some ability to oversee things. They're completely out of gone. No, no oversight whatsoever. Didn't that make you nervous? The, yeah, the thought. Of um, yeah, there were there were thoughts that would swirl yeah. in your head all over the place. You mm -hmm. know. Um, what's he going to be exposed to? What if he uses over there? What if this happens? What yeah. if that happens? Aside from just the fact that he's going into a combat zone, right? So there were, there were, there were those. And then you've got the thoughts on the other side of your brain going, we may be able to sleep better at night or then be, you know, things would be a little bit easier at home. So you're playing with all of these different thoughts and ideas in your head because you're, you're living in a hurricane. So he finishes his, uh, his prep, his training for that from Mississippi, mm -hmm. down in Mississippi, yeah. comes back, and he's ready to deploy. What happens next? So I was in Michigan, and, um, and there was an incident at home, and uh, there was some chaos at home. and you know, was Arguments, great, fights? Argument, Is that what we're yeah, talking big about? big argument. Okay. You know, him and his brother and Carla, and it just... You know, it just was not a comfortable situation for, you know, I got, I've got my wife at home, I've got two other kids at home, and I'm in Michigan, and something's not right at home. 
So I called my parents and I said, I said, Dad, come and get them. Let them stay at your house tonight. You know, let's get things. I'll be home tomorrow. We'll get things calmed down. We'll find out what's going on and, and you know, we'll get it figured out. So that's what he did. And so I was, um, so he had to go to work that Thursday morning and um, I was driving home. And um, it was mid-afternoon, I was heading home from Michigan and um, Carla called me and said, hey, have you heard from him today? And I had texted him in the morning, but I was in the hospitals all day. So I was in shielded areas and um, didn't really have cell access. And I was like, no, why? She said, well, work called. He left around 10 o'clock. They said he had to go downtown and pay a ticket. And um, they haven't heard from him since. You know, it's been like four, four and a half hours. And I said, well, have you tried to call him? Yeah, I can't get through to him. Uh, well, you know, young people on their cell phones, mm-hmm. you can get through to them. Yeah. Uh, when they, they want you to get When they want you to get through to them. And, you know, you go through the, the first step that you want to go to was maybe there was just an accident. Um, but I think when you have a, a child that's an addict, you know what's going on. You know. You just, you just know, right? You just know. It's just how long is it going to take you to work through every other option in your head of what it could be before you settle on what it is. So, so when I got home, one of the things we did was we put the Verizon locator service on his phone so that if we wanted to know where we, where he was, we could find out where he was. And that, that service gives you a one mile radius circle of where that phone is. And so we, we punched it up on the computer and it gives you this circle and part of that circles out in Lake Erie, you know, but, but the, the middle, the middle of that circle, the dot was East Cleveland. So what, what we, what we thought, right, what we believed but didn't want to believe was true. You know, we knew, we knew, and, and it, he was using again. Something happened and he was using again. We called one of our relatives who is, is in long-term recovery, and he said, you know, let him be. He's, he's with a dealer. He's with somebody somewhere. Let him be. And uh, when he comes home, he'll wake up, he'll sober up. When he comes home, then we'll deal with this. All right. That sounds right. Sounds mm-hmm. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that didn't sit well. And I got in the car and um, drove down to East Cleveland. And I'm in this, you know, here's the circle. Mm-hmm. And I'm just driving up and down streets looking for this work truck. And it was late October and it was 8, 9 o'clock at night. So it's dark out. Dark. And I'm just looking for this truck. And I, and I can't find it. And my cell phone's going dead. And I had my charger with me. I and mean, it was completely unprepared. And, and so it was like, I'm going. I, I'm just going to head home. Pulled that thing back up on Verizon. And I was like, it moved. The circle moved. The, the dot moved. Something moved. He's moving. Something's going on. And I'm like, I'm going back down there. And back up and down the streets, right? And just looking and looking. And yeah. finally, about 1 in the morning, I realized... I'm not going to find him tonight. So I made a decision. I'm going to go home and crack a dawn. We're going to be back out and we're going to have daylight. And uh, so the first thing we did was we, we got the uh, at the one police department where his job was to come in. We filled out a uh, we got the employer to fill out a missing truck report huh. because then it would go out on, for all the police. Right? Yeah. They'd all be looking for it, which was a good thing. Right. And it wasn't they were going to press charges. It was just going to be helpful in terms of finding the truck. Sure. Missing and truck. yeah, and then I went to the uh, Olmsted Township Police Department to file a missing persons report. You know, again, if he's in a hospital or something somewhere, how many eyes can we get looking for him, right? Mm-hmm. 
never made it out. They got the call from uh, from East Cleveland while I was there. And, uh, never had to go. Never had to go to East Cleveland, you know. Um, had to go home. And I remember it was... Uh, it was in the lobby. I filled out the paperwork in the lobby, and the police chief came out and said, "Hey, you know, why don't you come back here? Come back to the conference room, finish filling that out." And my senses are going off now. That is he being courteous? Yeah, what's is something not yeah. right? This doesn't yeah, yeah. seem right. Maybe he's being nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, he immediately sat down next to me, put his arm around me. And, uh, it's just that moment where, like, wow, what, what's, what, wait, what are you telling me? Yeah. What are you? I know what you're saying, but what are you saying? Mm-hmm. I know this is real, but this ain't real, and and my head is just swimming. And I, I just looked at him, and I said, "Go get my dad." My dad was in the car; he was waiting. He was going to Cleveland with me. So go get my dad. And he walked in. And I told him, I said, we got to go. We got to go home. We got to go. I just stood up. I said, we got to go. And we just drove home. I didn't say a word. And uh, just walked upstairs. And Carla was on the phone with her sister. She didn't know. Didn't know. I just had to, just grabbed her hands and I told her. Then you can only imagine the devastation. And then you got to start making decisions, you know, you got to, you got two kids that are at school and, um, what do you do now? Do you wait for them to come home? Do you go get them? What do you do? And... We had already gotten a phone call from the from the middle school that some people over there had heard and knew what was going on, and we're like, "Well, they can't hear it from someone else." So we had to we had to go to school, we had to get them, and uh, you know it was um, it's just it's just like a wrecking ball, you know, going through every every phase of of your life and. Um, but the flip side of the flip side of that was um, within an hour, our house is filled with people. It's just good and bad, right? Sure. You know, you got all this amazing support, mm-hmm. family and friends. And we had a knock on the door, and and the priest that had baptized Robbie's there, uh-huh. and he said, "I just happened to be in town, and you're t- in in Olmstead Falls, and somebody called me." Yeah, that's beautiful. Um. You know, that was a Friday and Robbie's brother was one of the one of the best players on their football team. And that night was conference championship game. And uh, we said, you know, we said, you don't have to play. The coach told him, you don't have to play. And about mid afternoon, he said, I'm playing today. He played for his brother. And he he went upstairs. He took a flag off Robbie's uniform, sewed it into his, 
played the best game he had ever played, you know. But we we drove out to Avon Lake, and you know, you're, you're just you're destroyed, and you're walking. You got to go sit in the stands. You got to, you know. But he had to do it. He had to do. He had to do what he had to do. You had to be so proud of him. Unbelievable. Yeah, proud. absolutely. And as a family, you went out to the game, I'm sure. Oh, we did, and, and yeah. I'll tell you why. That had to be so difficult. You know, what was what was amazing was um, the kids on the team, they called. They said, we're going to pick you up. We're going to pick you up. They came, and they got them, and they took them. They took care of them, you know. How do you recover? Well, for people that are going to listen to this, we're almost six years, we're five and a half years out, and the emotion doesn't go away, does it? No. Um, How do you recover? Wow, what a great question. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what recovery means. Um, What I know is this. I know that um, there's a whole different podcast we could do on – on, on faith and God's hand in this whole thing. There's so many things that, that happened. Before we close it down, any final thoughts for our listeners? You know, I think um, probably the same thing I'll say at the end of, of every time we have a chance to, um, every time we have a chance to talk is, um, you, you know, what is, what, is, what is it worth for you as a parent? What's it going to take for you as a parent to kind of step back and learn from from those of us, from you, from us, from from others that are on this journey, to understand that it can happen in, in your home, it can happen in your circle, it can happen in your family. So I'm going to invest time to learn. And I think you and I have talked a lot today about what we didn't know, yeah. all the things we didn't know that we know now. Well, you have an opportunity to learn those things. You have an opportunity to learn them now and to understand them now. Um, because once... You have a loved one that that steps through that threshold and walks through that door. All bets are off. And so what what's it going to take to get you moving forward to start investing a little bit of time and in, in keeping up with a, a, a world that that will blow your mind and changes constantly, right? And I think you've seen in 16 months, uh, you've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Rob. Absolutely. Thank you. We've been visiting today with Rob Brandt, who is the founder of Robbie's Voice. Uh, Robbie's Voice was founded in memory of his son, Robbie, who lost his battle with opioid addiction in 2011. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.